And we're so glad you're joining us here in person as well as online. Welcome. And I know as you guys are working out, there's some chairs and some ushers that are kind of helping out. So feel free to find a seat as able. Um, why don't I invite us to stand, please? And we can join in this refrain that has been used for years and years. So go ahead and glance at it so you're prepared and can say it with gusto. So yours is the bright white part. Here we go. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Hear this Easter message from 1 Peter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. Amen. Feel free to invite you to sing along with us this morning.
Savior, Jesus Christ. Let us unite our hearts in prayer, and we'll begin with a reading from Psalm chapter 2. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. The one enthroned in heaven lasts, the Lord scoffs at them, then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will rule over them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, the kings be wise and be warned, you rulers of the earth, Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and you be destroyed in your way. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Gracious Father, we come together this morning as your people to celebrate the resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ. In the resurrection of Christ, we have life, and we have life eternal. The scriptures remind us that we love because you first loved us. And so we come before you, Lord, as a people of humility. We know that we are not worthy. We know that we have been gathered together by you, by your grace, and through your love. And so we come before you as your people with humility. Let us be a people of humility. Let us interact with each other as if you were interacting with us in grace. Help us to be a people of grace that extend the love of Christ and the right hand of fellowship to those around us. And help us to be a people, because we are a humble people and a graceful people, that we walk with those, that we walk with those who are struggling, whether it be with a physical need, a mental need, social need, a financial need. Help us to be a community that loves. And when people mention Hardwick Ministries, the response is, oh, yeah, we know them. That's a community that loves one another. So this morning, God, Almighty God, through your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, who has overcome death, open unto us the gates of everlasting life. 
we humbly request that through your special grace that you empower us to love others as you have loved us through the sacrificial gift of your Son, through our Lord Jesus Christ, who lived, who reigneth, and through the Holy Spirit, ever one God, world without end. Gracious God, empower us to live as your people. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you very much. If you have um, young ones up through fifth grade and they would like to go to children's ministry, and they are welcome to stay here if they like, if they'd like to go to children's ministry, they can go over, over April um, by the door, and then we have a blessing that we do to them. And um, the adults say, the Lord be with you, and the children respond also with you. Now, I'm looking at the numbers today. So I have very, very high expectations on the volume and the enthusiasm, both from the adults and from the children. Okay, are we ready? Okay, adults, the Lord be with you. Well done, well done. Well, good morning, Fusion family, and happy Easter. Christ is risen. Is risen indeed. There's some enthusiasm uh, for this uh, good news. And uh, our children, we kind of hear the, the rumbling of our children and what a blessing they are to us. Amen. Amen. It is Resurrection Day. It's Easter Sunday, the day, the moment that changed everything, that Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Just to, uh, just to recap where we've been during this season of Lent. During Lent, if you remember, we've been considering the journey of God's people in the desert as they were rescued from Egypt into the promised land. It was a time of, of trusting that God was enough. And so this whole series we've called Enough. And then in Christ Jesus, Matthew in particular testifies that Jesus is a new and better Moses who came to rescue us from a different kind of slavery. Uh, that is the slavery of, of, of sin and death, right? This past week, we kind of shifted our attention to Jesus and that Passion Week. Uh, we remembered last week on Palm Sunday that Christ entered Jerusalem uh, during the Passover feast, riding on a donkey to shouts of Hosanna, save us, right? And what we remembered was that Jesus was the unexpected king. He was the king that the people did not expect. And during that week, then, Jesus challenged the religious leaders. Matthew spends chapters uh, talking about this conflict of kingdoms between uh, the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of this world. And during those conversations, and, and because Jesus cleared the temple, tensions reached a boiling point. And this past Thursday, on Monday Thursday, we remembered how Jesus was, was betrayed, deserted, beaten, and then crucified bearing the weight of humanity's sin and brokenness. Saturdays is silence. And now on Sunday, that smile can kind of return to our faces. We remember what happened next. We're going to continue to use Matthew as our guide uh, this holy week. And so I'd invite you, if you have your Bibles with or you can follow along on the screen, uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 10. And if you're willing and able, I invite you to stand as we honor God as he speaks to us once again this morning. After the Sabbath... At dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from hev heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb afraid yet filled with joy and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. 
Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Join me in prayer. Lord God, we are so grateful for your word. For your word which which captures a moment. A moment in time that changed everything. Lord, we pray, Holy Spirit, that that you would once again capture our hearts and our imagination. Lord, bring to mind the wonder of this moment that we, Lord, might respond in praise and worship. We pray all this in Jesus' name. God's people say, amen. You know, it's been said, in fact, I'm pretty sure I said this very thing last week, but it's been said that Easter Sunday is like the church's Super Bowl. Has anyone ever heard that, that statement? I said it last week, so if you were listening, you should raise your, you don't have to raise, you don't have to raise your hand. And most of us understand, I think, the comparison, right? If you don't know anything about the NFL or professional football, the Super Bowl is the culmination of the NFL football season. It is the championship game where AFC meets NFC. It is the culmination of all that whole season, that whole year of hard work, blood, sweat, and tears. And in a similar way, not exactly, Easter is kind of the, the culmination, right, of the church calendar. It is, it is the day and the moment that all things lead up to. Easter, more specifically, the resurrection of Jesus is what, why we're here in the first place, because Christ is risen. In fact, we are gathered on a Sunday. Why? Because Jesus Christ rose on a Sunday morning. We no longer gather on the Sabbath, which is Saturday, but we gather on Sunday because Jesus Christ is risen. Jesus Christ is risen indeed. And that moment changed everything, and it changed how we worship and how we live. It's changed everything. It is the culmination. So in some respects, I guess you could say it's like the Super Bowl. But here's the thing. What else has the Super Bowl become since that first Super Bowl Victory won by the Green Bay Packers. Uh, That's just, eh, whatever, okay. The Packers won the first two. I'm a Packer fan, I confess. But what happened to the Super Bowl since the, the first early years of the Super Bowl? It's evolved. It's evolved into so much more than what its original intent was, which was simply a football game, a championship game between two teams. It's become an event, like the picture up there. It's become a production, a money making machine. In fact, football game purists, football purists will say that all the festivities and all the, the hoopla around the Super Bowl has become a, a huge distraction, distracting away from the game itself. In fact, how many, of you, how many of you watch the Super Bowl more for the commercials and halftime show than the actual game, right? There's a lot of us, right? Because that's when all these creative commercials come out and some people fast forward through the game to watch the commercials. It's become so much more than just a football game. And not only that, but every year it seems like they keep trying to up the ante. Like this year we got to make it bigger and better and the Super Bowl halftime show has got to be a bigger and greater spectacle and people are swinging down from wires or being dropped from helicopter. I mean, it's become this huge ordeal and spectacle. Here's a, here's a confession. I would say that some of that impulse, that kind of modern consumerist, kind of American impulse has crept its way into the church. Many of us in the church world, pastors, leaders, etc., we, we feel the pressure on Easter Sunday. We feel the pressure to, to, to make Easter Sunday something special, something bigger and better than it was before. We want the most moving music. We want those songs that just stir the soul. We want a sermon that's powerful with some kind of story that just brings the point home. We want more flowers and all these things that, that make Easter bigger and, and better and special. 
And I think, and I think for the most part, it's all good intentions, right? It's coming from a good place. Because after all, Easter, Resurrection Sunday, that, the resurrection of Jesus, no hyperbole, is the best thing ever. Like the best day ever, the day Jesus Christ arose. Can I get an amen to that? And because it is the best thing ever, we want to we wanna highlight that, right? We, wanna, we, wanna, we want people to know and we want to highlight that. It's coming from a good place. But here's the question I want to wrestle with this morning. It, is that the best way to remember the resurrection of Jesus Christ? More flash, bigger production, more emotion. Is, is that the best way? I don't know. I don't know. But what I think is helpful, not always, but I think it is helpful sometimes to go back instead of forward. To look back at our history, to consider the practices of those who've gone before us. One of the core values here at Fusion is rooted. And rooted really gets at that there is a value of looking back to the 2,000 years of Christian history and how people have practiced their faith for 2,000 years and what stood the test of time. We, we place a value in that, right? It's why we, we light a Christ candle every Sunday. It's why we do certain practices. There's a value in that. So here's what I want to do this morning. Again, we're going to use Matthew as our guide, but let's look back to that first Easter Sunday morning. Let's consider what we can glean from what happened in that moment because maybe, just maybe, there's something we can gather for today. Let's look at the resurrection as Matthew describes it. Ten verses Matthew uses to describe the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Easter day. Ten verses. And here's what I find fascinating about Matthew's account of resurrection Sunday morning. Matthew acknowledges the gravity of this moment, right? He acknowledged that this is a moment that, that held a lot of weight and gravity, but what's curious is that the setting in which it unfolds, at least that Easter morning and what he tells in these 10 verses, happens and unfolds curiously in the ordinary of life and in a way that's almost discreet and hidden. And so let's talk about both of those things. First, let's begin with the resurrection as momentous world-changing, literally earth-shaking, right? The resurrection of Jesus was, was earth-shaking, literally. Matthew describes a, a violent earthquake. The earth literally trembles and shakes at the moment this angel of the Lord descends from heaven, rolls away the stone, and then sits down on top of that stone. Matthew goes on to describe the angel's appearance as like lightning with a robe that's white as snow. Now, these images, earthquake and those colors and lightning, these are all images that kind of echo some of the things we've been learning in the Exodus series. Remember Mount Sinai when, when God appears on the mountain, there's lightning and there's an earthquake, there's a trumpet that blasts. And so there is something huge and earth-shaking that's happening in this moment. And Matthew describes that beautifully. It's a significant moment and day. And then this, of course, is confirmed when, when guards who are, who are guarding the tomb see the angel and they are so afraid that they shake, right, just like the earth. These guards begin to tremble and then they pass out like dead men laying on the ground unconscious. Wow, something incredible is happening in this moment. And this seems all incredibly appropriate considering this is the best day ever. This is the greatest thing that's ever happened in all of history. Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Yes, we think absolutely the earth should tremble. Guards should tremble and pass out cold on the ground. And in our minds, there should be more. Like part of me is like, okay, Jesus, now that you're risen, now come, come marching into Jerusalem. Show the whole city that you are risen Show them who you are and what you came to be and what you came to do and accomplish. We want more, a thundering voice from heaven. Wake up, people. Christ is risen. But instead, at least here in these 10 verses, what we read in Matthew's account is, is that the resurrection of Jesus takes place in the ordinary of life. And the resurrection of Jesus is, is revealed to these women, but otherwise it's, it's hidden, at least this first morning. We know the story goes on. 
The resurrection remains in the ordinary and hidden. Matthew opens his account of this first Easter morning describing something incredibly ordinary. Verse one, it's on the screen. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. Now, what Mary and Mary are doing, they're not, they're not going to the tomb expecting to, to meet the risen Jesus. Uh, Mark and Luke add this detail that the women are going to the tomb to prepare Jesus' body with spices and oils. This would have been just a common practice that you would do for someone you loved to prepare their dead body. Now, of course, they, they wait, right? They're, they're faithful Jewish women, so they're not going to do it on the Sabbath. That's why they don't come on Saturday. It's the Sabbath day of rest. But first thing Sunday morning, as soon as they can get there, they head to Jesus' tomb to dress his body for burial. This was an ordinary preparation for the dead in Jewish tradition. Ordinary. Now, now certainly an earthquake, right, would have gotten some people's attention, would have been felt around in that area, that region. But, but notice only the guards and these women are witnesses of the angel. And the guards were told, right, they see the angel and they just pass out. But a few verses later in Matthew, we're told that, that they're actually paid off to change their story Right, so they're asleep for a big part of this, and then they change their story because maybe partly they're, they're, they're embarrassed, but also they've been paid off to say that, that Jesus' followers robbed, and robbed the grave and took his body. So the story doesn't get past them. It remains kind of hidden. And then what about these witnesses? Mary. Magdalene and the other Mary, the other gospel accounts, there's other women mentioned at this first encounter with Jesus. All four gospels, in fact, say that women were the first witnesses of Jesus' resurrection. Now, if we know anything about the ancient world, like in the ancient world, and, and you maybe have heard this before, but a, a woman's testimony didn't, didn't carry weight. It wasn't legitimate in a court of, of, of law in the ancient world. And so that's, that's curious. Jesus reveals himself, and the first witnesses are, are women. Again, ordinary and hidden. Now, now if, you were, if you were meeting with a, a marketing or branding agency, right, and you say, we got the greatest thing that's ever happened, I guarantee you this is not how they would advise you to get the word out, Right? This is not how the Super Bowl does their thing. It's bigger, it's better. This is not how a promotion agency in our modern world would say, hey, this is the best way to get the word out. Also, just a little side note, for those who say this is a made-up story, if you are making up the story of the resurrection, you would not make women in the ancient world the first witnesses. So this is more evidence that this actually happened. Just a side note. But the resurrection remains in the ordinary, in the hidden. But there's more. I think there is something that we can glean from, from Mary and the other Mary, the Marys, if you will, uh, their response to what they witnessed. Let's look at the response in verses 8 through 10. This angel terrifyingly appears to these, women's, these women. The guard, by the way, is just, the guards are just passed out on the ground. And the angel says, do not be afraid, and then goes on to say that Jesus Christ, who is crucified, is alive. He has now risen. Now go and tell the other disciples to return home to Galilee, where they will find me. And this is, this is the women's response after they hear news for the first time that Jesus Christ has been risen from the dead. We read this, verse 8. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy and ran to tell his disciples. As I was reading this account, that phrase just caught my attention and my imagination this week. Afraid, yet filled with joy. Matthew seems to capture well what, what you would imagine the emotions of this moment might be. Fear, and yet joy. Bewilderment, like what's going on, and yet hopefulness, terror, maybe fading into hope and then 
joy. A word that I think captures this idea of afraid yet filled with joy is the word wonder. The word wonder. The Greek word for fear is, is phobos. Do you hear another word in there? It's where we get the word phobia, right? Phobos. It, it can mean fear in, in certain settings, but also in the, New, in the New Testament, it can mean awe or reverence. But, but how do we get from fear to awe and reverence? I think we can kind of sense how they're related. Well, think about it this way. What often causes fear in us? Certainly there's things that we are afraid of that we should be afraid of, and we, but oftentimes our fear is, is because something that we're facing is unknown, right? So often what we're afraid of is the unknown. We fear what we do not know. We fear what is outside of or beyond our control. That's why darkness is so scary because what's, what's beyond the darkness? Unknown. In fact, if you look up phobia, phobia is defined as an excessive, extreme, or irrational fear. I think that idea that phobias are irrational centers around this idea that it's the unknown. Spiders, uh, I don't know. Terrifying, or whatever. That's the only phobia I can think of at the moment. That's probably good that I don't think of any others. But, it, but it's why, you know, when my kids are in the, in the dark room, it's like, ah, oh, I'm scared. Or, or there's even these little videos on, on, uh, on, on the internet where there's a couple and one of them's like, let's see if my spouse matches my energy. Has anyone seen these? And so the one spouse just jumps for no reason. Blah, blah. And then the other, the other partner's like, whoa, 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 what is it? There's nothing there. But it's just the unknown. Like, well, why are you, what's going on, right? Or when someone jumps out and scares, it's the unknown. I think this idea of wonder actually builds off of what is unknown or uncontrollable or unexplainable. We wonder in awe and reverence that when we see something, it's like, wow, wow, communicates unknown, right? But there's a difference because somehow when we wonder, when we awe, there's something about the unknown that we sense is good. And that's the difference. And in that goodness, something brings joy. Eugene Peterson by the way, we've been doing some podcasts. I don't know if you're aware, but uh, we just did a podcast on uh, Wynn Collier's book, Burning in My Bones, which is a bi biography on Eugene Peterson. And so that inspired me this week to pick up Eugene Peterson's book, Living the Resurrection, and I couldn't put it down. It was, it was inspiring and it was amazing. And so this is what Eugene Peterson puts, uh, explaining how the difference between uh, fear that brings about wonder, fear in the Lord, versus fear that brings about terror. He writes this, fear of the Lord is fear with the scary element deleted. So it's often accompanied with the reassurance, fear not, like in our text, but the fear not does not result in the absence of fear, but rather the transformation into fear of the Lord, or what we've been using the word wonder. We still don't know what's going on. We're still not in control. We're still deep, deep in mystery. That's beautiful. But wonder is when that unknown mystery is accompanied by some kind of goodness that brings joy, afraid yet filled with joy, wonder. I think our kids, again, like so often, they, they help us understand wonder better than most adults. I just love like watching my kids watch a movie and just their eyes are lit up, you know, this, they're just in this world that they're watching. Uh, but particularly, um, we, we, we get wonder from our kids when they're in the presence of, in a situation where they feel security, like, like in their parents' presence or their arms. Think about it. If, if my kids are in their room and the dark, it's, they're alone and, and it's dark in their room and they start hearing explosions, right, or thunder, right, they're going to get scared. Like, what is that? They're going to be terrified. But on the 4th of July, if we're, if we're laying out in... Is it Collin Park? We're new to Holland. Is that where the fireworks are? Thank you. Collin Park, and we're laying out a blanket, and there's explosions going off in the air, and there's light filling the sky, but they're in the arms of mom or dad. Wow. Not afraid. Is that mysterious? Is that unknown? Yeah, but I'm safe, and there's some goodness in this wonder. You catching the difference? Are you with me? Wonder, wonder. But it's not just wonder that these two women teach us in this account. Second response of the Marys, the women at the empty tomb, Matthew says, they, they take off to go to tell the disciples, and we pick up verse seven. Suddenly, suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. 
and they came to him. They clasped his feet and worshiped him. Think of this, the the news of the resurrection inspired wonder, but the sight of the risen Jesus inspired worship. Wonder and now worship. And notice, we're we're not given many details about this worship. They came to him, they clasped his feet and worshiped. We don't know the exact words they spoke. We don't know if there's particular song that they began to sing. We don't, hear, we don't read of any kind of dancing or charismatic behavior. We, there's, on top of that, kind of in our modern context, there's no PowerPoint presentation or, or clever turn of phrase. There's just worship. The sight of their risen Jesus, worship, pure and authentic and simple. It was worship, not only that, but defined by two things, reverence and intimacy falling to their knees in awe. Like get to his feet, right? They fall on their knees. That is an act of reverence. And then they hold on to their Savior's feet. That's an act of love and intimacy. Reverence and intimacy. Wonder and worship. Worship, reverence, and intimacy. Again, Eugene Peterson, I told you, this book just captured my heart this week. But Eugene Peterson captures how these two elements of reverence and intimacy hold together in a worship that is simple and authentic when he writes this. He writes this, the two elements together became worship. Falling to our knees before Jesus, an act of reverence, is not in and of self resurrection worship. Touching and holding the feet of Jesus, an act of intimacy, is not in and of itself Resurrection worship. The acts of reverence and intimacy need each other. The reverence needs the infusion of intimacy, lest it become a cool and detached aesthetic. The intimacy needs to be suffused in reverence, lest it become a gushy emotion. These women knew what they were doing. They were dealing with God in the living presence of Jesus, and so they worshiped. Simply and authentically. The resurrected Jesus compelled worship in these two women, two women that was simple and authentic, displaying their wonder and their love for their rabbi who is now their savior and Lord. Wonder and worship, ordinary, hidden. Let's think about our own context. See, friends, Matthew, along with the other gospel writers, offer this glimpse of that first Easter morning. It was the moment that changed the course of history. And yet, at least in that Easter morning, remained hidden and in the ordinary practices and people of that time. There was no marketing or branding strategies. There was no promotions budget. There was no large choir singing the Hallelujah Chorus, nor nor was there a rock and roll band with a laser light show behind them. There was no clever quips, Greek word studies, or some emotive story that just captures our hearts in a way that is powerful. It was simply Jesus Christ alive in their presence again. Jesus Christ appearing to two women who respond with wonder, like wow, and worship. So we return to the question. Should we continue to treat Easter Sunday like our Super Bowl every year? Is it the best way to remember and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ? I don't know. I'm not going to give you an answer. Because, I mean, Easter is a big deal. And without the resurrection of Jesus, nothing we do here even matters. And, And to be honest, I have no problem I have no problem singing powerful songs. I like powerful songs. I got no problem with sermons that captivate my imagination and help me understand something in a new way. That's why I do what I do. Like, I I appreciate those things. I love Easter lilies and palm branches and and colorful cloth. Like, I I love that. And and for that matter, I don't mind celebrating with Easter egg hunts or, or honey hams or Easter baskets filled with candy. Like, that's great. It's wonderful. But here's the thing, if we think that we need to bring something each year to make Easter more meaningful or any more powerful, 
than it already is? As if some specific song or video or sermon illustration is going to bring some fresh perspective to the resurrection of Jesus Christ? If we feel the need to keep raising the bar from previous years, if it becomes a production, a spectacle, or, or even nostalgia of things we've done in our past, then I think like the Super Bowl today, the festivities and the spectacle have distracted us from the point of this day. Here's the truth. This whole Lent series, right, we've, we've been exploring the theme, enough. Enough. The only thing I want us to leave here this morning with is this. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is enough. Can I get an amen to that? The resurrection of Jesus Christ and all that that means for us is enough. We don't have to add a single thing to this truth on this Easter Sunday. The reality of the gospel that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. This is our good news. And so maybe instead of trying to add something flashy or nostalgic to this truth, maybe we simply need to learn something from these two women who met Jesus face to face in that garden on that first Easter Sunday to recapture wonder. Wow. To recapture a a simple heart of, of worship. That's my prayer for myself, that's my prayer for each of us, that that this truth of the resurrection, that we would just pause on this day and just consider the the awe and the wonder that the, that the, the God of the universe stepped into this broken world, gave his life in Jesus Christ, and then rose again. And what does that mean for us, that we have life both now and forever? Can we just recapture the wonder of that truth? And as we begin to just just settle into the wonder of that truth, may an encounter with the risen Christ inspire worship. Worship that's simple and authentic and real. We don't need to look for what's new and trending. Instead, just look at the last 2,000 years of Christian history. Why do we gather on Sundays? We gather on Sundays because Christ is risen and we gather for worship. And what have the people of God been doing for, on Sundays for 2,000 years? We sing some songs, yeah, because music is a gift from God. We listen, we learn the scriptures, yeah, absolutely. And then we partake in the sacrament. We partake in the Lord's Supper. We celebrate baptism. These are the things that, that God's people have been doing for 2,000 years, and they've been bringing a sense of wonder and worship that is real and authentic and from the heart in God's people for 2,000 years, wondering at what God has done in Jesus Christ. And so friends, that's what we're gonna do this morning. We are gonna gather at the table of Jesus Christ and we are gonna partake in this gift of a body that was broken, blood that was shed for forgiveness, for life for God's people. Wow. Wow. You join me in prayer. Lord, we pray we pray, Lord, that you would you would slow down our hearts and our minds. Lord, that in this moment as we prepare our hearts to partake the bread and the cup, the body and the blood of Christ. Lord, may you capture our hearts so that that we might recapture this sense of, in some ways, a childlike wonder. A wonder and an awe, marveling, marveling at, Lord Jesus, what you have done on our behalf, marveling at what love compelled you to do marveling, 
Lord God, that, that you desired us and you love us in such a way that you made a way for us to be with you, not only today and in this moment, but Lord, for all eternity. Lord, that is an incredible, wonder-inducing gift. So Lord, this morning as we partake, inspire that wonder and in our hearts compel us to worship you to offer simple words of praise and thanksgiving for what, Lord Jesus, you have done. I pray all this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. This morning, just a few words of instruction. We have three stations uh, up front. You will be invited uh, when the music begins to come down the aisles. Uh, someone will serve you a piece of bread with a hand that is gloved, and then we will serve a cup, and you are just to take a cup uh, of juice, partake at the table, and then dispose of those at the end. Um, for those who prefer a prepackaged or gluten-free option, uh, intended to have some on the tables up front, but those are all in the back by the window, and there will be someone there to serve you as well. Uh, if you cannot or wish not to come forward and would like to partake at your seat, just raise your hand, and someone will come serve you there at your seat. I think I got it covered. But I'm gonna invite our, uh, or no, first, let's just open with another word of prayer. Lord God, come. Holy Spirit, we know you are here. May we remember with wonder this meal that you've given to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Let's remember with wonder and praise what Christ has accomplished on our behalf. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and after giving thanks to God, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup saying, this cup is a new covenant sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink of it, do this in remembrance of me. For the body of Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus Christ was given for the forgiveness of our sins. Amen. I invite our servers to come forward at this time. And then as you feel ready, come, for all things are now ready.
scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. He is risen amen, amen. Here, these, uh, these are some words that uh, I heard this week, and I just thought it captures it. Easter is a big day. Paul told us that everything rises or falls on how Jesus was dead, but he is not dead anymore. But pastors, this is a word to me, since everything rises and falls on the resurrection, this means that nothing rises and falls on us on how many people show up, on how polished our sermon is or isn't, on how well our church seems to be doing. Jesus has already done the heavy lifting. The, and our only job now is to tell this old, beautiful, earth-shattering story. Just tell us the story and let the resurrection raise dead things back to life. Here from First Peter, Joan, we were thinking the same thing. Same words we opened with. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Friends, go in this hope. Go in this peace. And may that peace of Christ rule in our hearts. Amen. And amen. He's done.